0: from the Mercy One Studio making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com
1: Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with three of our diocesan seminarians, Brad Roby, Jake Epstein, and Reed Flood, who will all be ordained transitional deacons tonight at St. Ambrose Cathedral in Des Moines during a private ordination mass. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the bishop's mind. Yeah.
2: I don't know how private it'll be. It'll just be a, a smaller congregation, but it is not something that, the you know— elite, The doors are not you know, open elite, to everybody. Yeah, yeah not, not for restricted donors or something in that regard. But, uh, yeah, we do have to observe social distancing, which uh, limits the amount of people that we can have. But mm-hmm. how marvelous to, to come back to the cathedral to celebrate in the main body of the church on such a grace-filled uh, day and event. Uh, and so we'll talk to these men uh, in a little bit. But uh, I think the grace might be a little more elusive right now in our society. These are historic times we know we're living through, but we don't necessarily have the, the sense of where God is, is leading us, but the, the solidarity people, even as the, the raw and gaping wound of, of mm-hmm. racism and the death of George Floyd obviously has has touched our country in kind of a seismic shock, if you will, that mm-hmm. continues to reverberate throughout the whole land. And uh, Christians and others of goodwill are, are trying to unite uh, and bring out the, the best in us, uh, our support for our uh, black brothers and sisters, uh, our recognition that maybe we uh, have to listen and not speak for them, but uh, Mm -hmm. to be condescending in any way, but the the compelling life stories and experiences, but then how systemically this will carry over. And so I know my brother bishops throughout the country have been speaking in many ways. Uh, Bishop Parks of St. Petersburg, Florida, himself, African-American, says if you are someone who has struggled for breath because of the oppression of racism, I want you to know I see you, I hear you, and I pray for you. This is not what God intended for his beloved children. We can breathe, and we can speak, and we can pray, and we can act. And so our breath is not simply our own, but the breath of the Holy Spirit, as I reflected on Pentecost weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, and then the uh, the communion which God wants to form that images Himself and Holy Trinity. So some of my own messages, I haven't released a separate pastoral letter at this point yet. I think we'll be uniting as Iowa bishops, uh, Iowa Catholic Conference, in a a united voice as well. Uh, People are maybe quickening their step a little bit and uh, hastening to church, uh, daily Mm -hmm. masses, and uh, the Powder County and uh, yesterday, even in Polk, Dallas, and Warren counties. And so mm-hmm. that uh, gives renewed hope and strength, the, the, the medicine of the Eucharist, so that we can be the witnesses uh, of the equal dignity of all persons. Uh, and then the, the next week, I think it really ramps up in, in a beautiful way uh, as mm-hmm. we go forward. I'm privileged to not only have been a part of a panel discussion on racism that Laura Windman at Mercy One Mission Officer organized last Friday with uh, Pastor Jonathan Whitfield of Corinthian Baptist Church, but also Lieutenant Brian Doty of the Des Moines Police Department. Uh, we were part of this uh, together, and uh, I think it was a good message for that whole Mercy community and their associated uh, 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 offices. I've also been part, invited to be part of a prayer rally tomorrow on the west mm-hmm. t- side of the Capitol, uh, the Light in the Darkness Prayer Rally. Uh, as we've been invited to be the bride of Christ, all the churches in Des Moines, the Iowa metro area, to gather as salt and light to pray and mourn publicly for George Floyd, our city, and our nation. So I invite uh, uh, my friends out there uh, listening in the Des Moines metro region to maybe consider giving up part of your Saturday morning to stand and witness with all uh, Christian brothers and sisters, all people of faith and goodwill in that way. And it uh, looks like it's going to be a splendid day, too. So you can. Uh, pause on your bike ride before you get involved in that uh, also. So uh, we're also discerning about the Ordinance Against Racial Profiling by the Des Moines City Council and the NAACP. I think it's helping us bring a critical light to bear. I know my predecessor, Bishop Pates, had spoken out publicly, and I I stand with him and all of those who who want to, you know, the marvelous work our law and people do for the, you know, with those rare exceptions that we've seen. Uh, but now I think a chance to, to lift up the bar of what's expected in justice. And then our legislature last night, Kelly.
1: Sure. Yep. Yesterday, Senate File 2416 enacts the plan for a more perfect union that was passed. And this bill has four key provisions. It bans the use of chokeholds by law enforcement, authorizes the attorney general to prosecute officer-related deaths, present, prevents officers who engage in misconduct from getting hired by their departments, and enhances de-escalation and and bias prevention training for so law enforcement. So kind of
2: rapid and concerted action, yeah. That's the name of the common good. All right.
1: We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson.
3: Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not.
1: Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. On today's show, we're visiting with three of our diocesan seminarians, Brad Roby, Jake Epstein, and Reed Flood, who will be ordained transitional deacons tonight at St. Ambrose Cathedral in Des Moines.
2: So good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, if you already didn't feel like this was a momentous day, nothing like a little saint organ mm-hmm. concerto to kind of give a sense of, uh, <laughs> of the moment in that way. And uh, did, you, uh, all, an did you all sleep last night? <laughs>
5: We did. Well, I did at least. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> about you guys. Yeah, I got a fairly decent night's
0: sleep myself, so. Oh, okay. And Brad? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I think Jake. Is Jake on here?
0: I am, yeah. I slept just fine. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) All right.
2: All right. Well, enough of that. So uh, marvelous. And, uh, you know, it's been a privilege getting to know you a little bit. We had some sit-down conversations uh, in recent weeks and everything else, and you kind of talked about so many things. And uh, I just, you know, the the Des Moines Diocese is so blessed. I'm not going to try and puffy up too much because, you know, I know you're humble by nature. And, uh, you know, a sense of... What now, uh, in all these years of preparation, and finally now to approach the altar, uh, to have uh, hands imposed upon you, uh, kind of uh, maybe thoughts that that brings forward for you? Uh, Brad, maybe could you go first?
5: Yeah, I think just one thing, just kind of thinking about tonight, one of the things I'm really looking forward to, I think, is, I guess, especially after tonight, you know, going into this next week when being at our parish assignments, you know, that's when we'll really start. Doing the ministry work of you know what it, what a deacon does, so you know helping out, helping 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 the priest at the altar, and also even other stuff like that. So stuff, stuff on, that's a couple things that's on my mind that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Beyond the sacramental realm, is there something, Brad, that you kind of gravitate toward as a as a ministry or a group of people that you you like to to build up or uh, engage?
5: You know, I think for myself I I've, I've been I guess I haven't really had too many expectations of what I'm what I'm kind of expecting. I just I do know that, you know, being out in I'm in Atlantic and Anita this summer. The one thing I really hope to do is really, you know, this summer as well and watching Father Trevor the pastor I'm with and mm-hmm. how he kind of reaches out to that community and you know, really getting the, commun- the communities out there and learning how to reach out in the parish setting like that.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the timing couldn't be better now as parish life is, is uh, ramping up again on the sacramental and other fronts. But I know Absolutely. Father Trevor and, and so many of our pastors have really been uh, present to their people, the sick, uh, particularly to the degree that they can. Um, and, and for you, Jake, you uh, you know, uh, uh, you know that uh, as you shared with me, uh, a kind of special place in your heart for, for the sick, uh, how is the role of the deacon going to influence that, do you think?
0: Well, that's one of the most ancient roles of the deacon, right? Is uh, to bring the Eucharist, and but then also to bring the in in sort of an official capacity. Sort of all sorts of people bring bring everyone baptized brings the church's ministry with them when they go out. But the the deacon does that, you know, in a in an official way as a representative of the church, he goes out to to those who couldn't be with us, us at mass, brings the Eucharist to to those out. And that's, a, uh, I think, going to be an especially prominent role in the coming months as we start regathering in a sort of a limited way, but with, with a lot of caveats, right, about maybe who's encouraged to join us and who perhaps it would be best if they didn't. Well, that brings up a whole, a really prominent role for the deacon to, to go out then to the to
2: people. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and that
2: there are those who may be the the extension of the body of Christ, and so there there may be uh, all sorts of opportunities for you and other special ministers of of the Eucharist to, to bring that forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, read in the uh, right that this uh, neophyte bishop has been uh, studying tonight. You know, if I get out of line too much, I've got five Masters of Ceremonies who will wrestle me to the ground and, and keep me on track, so we'll make sure you'll be oh, validly yeah. ordained tonight as well. But uh, it says, <laughs> one of the questions is, do you resolve to conform your way of life always to the example of Christ, whose body and blood you are minister at the altar? And uh, And how, you know, that conformity, which for the transitional diaconate and opposed to the permanent diaconate, also involves that commitment and the embracing of the celibate state. How is that? Uh, is that fitting? Is that is that something kind of imposed upon you as uh, as a man, or do you, how, how have you come to appreciate celibacy and the the the, the co-naturality, you will, if of of that with the the deaconate? Yeah,
4: deacon. yeah, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> for me, looking at the person of Christ who was the greatest man who ever walked the face of the earth. He was God. And that was fitting that. It still is. To, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that, Just tease it. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but he, when he became man, he laid down his life for his people, but he did it as a celibate. He did it as a celibate man. So Christ is really giving us the model to aspire to. And every person in some way or another is called to live out celibacy in their life, you know, through ch- chaste relationships with others. So for me, I think that celibacy went from one, I didn't really know much about it when I first joined seminary. I knew that this was required, but in the last seven years of engaging it, of praying over it and living it, uh, it's been beautiful. It's, it's, it's such a, it's a full, Body way of laying down your life for the church, and I think it's very fitting given this Sunday celebration of Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Christ. Uh, that I get to now enter into that mystical identity of Christ in persona Christi service, right? Christ the servant. It's not a priestly ordination where you know I'd be ordained in Christ the head, but to be the servant of Christ ordained. Uh, I think it's very fitting uh that I can um really give God all of me to serve all of his church.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And uh um do you think as a result of 7 years of formation that it's made you uh less capable of being a a, a natural father or do you think uh, that you you've kind of had a a sense of oh, oh that's not good or you know how you know in the complementarity of different vocations. Can you comment on that, Reed?
4: Oh, absolutely. Well, uh, these last seven years have prepared me to become a father, whether that be a spiritual father or even, and I know a lot of my close friends who I joined seminary with, um, their time, their years in formation has prepared them to be a father of a family, of like a biological father. So these last seven years have, um, Well, joining seminary was the greatest decision of my entire life. And I say that because it's prepared me to become a man and the fullest expression as a father to lay down my life for whoever it is God's entrusted me to.
2: I think that's a great message that, you know, men who might be thinking, I I want it all, I want to embrace all these goods, and, uh, well, I don't don't want to have to rule anything out yet, but I think that that attraction to consider the priesthood, to consider the permanent or you know, the transitional diaconate, uh, that that could be something, that that openness, and then let God help uh, to form and mold one's hearts and desires as we give those desires to him in that way. Uh, all three of you are uh, natives of the diocese, if I'm correct, um, in home parishes here in the, in the diocese, in fact, in the Des Moines metro region. Uh, could you just comment, and starting with Brad, on how your home parish influenced you to kind of consider the priesthood and, and hence the transitional diaconate?
5: Yeah, you know, my, um, my family—we, I mean, for much, for much, for much, from for much of my life, we've been we've been regularly attending St. Joseph's Church on the east side of Des Moines, and so I think. Um,
2: my condolences that they've canceled the uh, state fair this year. I know that's gonna. Oh <laughs> <Well>, yeah. <laughs>
5: it was it was a yeah it was a tough decision, but it was a necessary one. I I know too. So, but I think, and I'd say my I think from my experience at St. Joseph's, watching. Some of the some of the priests who I knew who were who were there, for example, Father Bob Chamberlain. Um, he was he was for for much for much of my early life. He was he was one of the only priests I knew, and you know, was kind of watching um, his his care for the, his care for us parishioners, mm-hmm. and really just kind of the love he had for for the Saint Josephs Parish. So I think just kind of seeing that. That fatherly care for a parish, I think, is one way ways inspired me. Um, but yeah,
2: that mm-hmm. this is a, a valid and beautiful way to love—to love less exclusive, but uh, uh, soul filling in the same way. You
5: know, Absolutely. Way. Yeah, and I so. think yeah, and I just kind of watching also, even getting to know the different parishioners of the parish and, and how they've been able to um, give of themselves and reach out to the parish and whatnot. So it's been really kind of it's really 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 kind of a beautiful witness. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And Jake, for you, a little different uh, setting, but uh, uh, how did your parish experience kindle some of this? Yeah,
0: well, I was at uh, Saint Pius X in Urbandale, Dale, and uh, Monsignor Joe McDonald was the pastor there, and uh, it was just always it made a big impression on me that he was so clearly a man of prayer who loved the Lord that came through in in all of his. Uh, anytime he spoke in all of his homilies, um, it always came through that he, that he, how much he loved the Lord and how much he loved his people. Um, and so that made a big impression on me, just watching that over the years and seeing that so clearly come through in all in his actions and, and in what he said. Um, and that was, you know, that's deeply attractive. That's something I wanted was uh, that same love. And uh, so that, you know, planted the seed for me that, that this was a way of uh well not that not that people who aren't priests don't love the Lord, of course many they do but um but that this was a way of of following that love um, but yeah, so it, that that really planted the seed for me that's
2: a... that's a very compelling. I mean, the, as you shared with me, though, it wasn't something like, you know, it was a constant uh, sense in your heart I'm going to be a priest. You uh, wandered up to Ames and uh, entered into what we sometimes call pre-pre-theology, uh, engineering at Iowa State. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what happened during those years? <laughs> that uh, that wayward town, that you know, <laughs> Welch Avenue, Visha. Well,
0: <laughs> oh, they'd already canceled Visha
2: by the time you got in there. <laughs>
0: Well, not Nothing. when I was there. No, we still we still had it. Oh, thank um, you. I can assure you I didn't play any role in uh You weren't up on, on any that. light poles or anything? No, <laughs> okay. no, not me.
2: <laughs> oh, good. And then, Reed, uh, maybe a, a rich a little texture to your parish experience in the diocese.
4: Yeah, well, uh, Holy Trinity Parish in Beaverdale, Iowa, left a profound impact on me and my spiritual identity. I mean... Uh, both of my parents were converts to the faith, and my mom and my older sister, Margo, they were parishioners at Holy Trinity. But my dad, he was uh, a Christian scientist, um, wasn't baptized, didn't think that my older brothers and I should be baptized. So when we were babies, um, we were in the area, but we weren't actually attending that church. But my mom and my sister, Margo, they would pray that, okay, you know, we pray that the boys can become baptized. Well, really through a through a beautiful cross um, when Margot was 12 years old, she was in the backseat of our family's car and there was a car accident and Margot ended up passing away. Right. And they had the funeral at Holy Trinity. So my dad came and my mom came and all of the babies, you know, me Kurt and Ty, my brothers came and the funeral there. And then just the reception from the family, you know, the Holy Trinity parish community family was so beautiful that my dad saw that and he said, I don't know what this is, but I want this, and I want this for my boys. So with that, we were all baptized uh, immediately, really after that, just, just, just very shortly after that funeral. And now I look back at the providence of it all, how Holy Trinity evangelized. And I think that is a great teaching moment for me, that in my ministry, to live my life in such a way that people will look at me and say, wow, like, what like i don't know what that guy has but i want that so i want to be able to share that and it's very fitting that the day after my ordination tonight tomorrow i'll be baptizing my my baby nephew as well so there's just an awesome awesome (laughs) continuity of god's grace
2: Tremendous, tremendous. So, so you've had the practicum, I hope, at the North American College for baptism, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I
4: practiced on a baby doll, and I baptized a doll. <laughs> so, see if I can do the real thing tomorrow.
2: Okay, and you know, the, these last months, and for all of you, kind of. Uh, Things were turned upside down a little bit. Uh, Reed, you're a little bit late to the party. I mean, you had the opportunity to, to be ordained to the diaconate in St. Peter's Basilica this October, and yet here you are. You're going to show up at St. Ambrose, and again, with uh, you know, you could have had some cardinal uh, ordaining you, and you've got this lowly uh, bishop here. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, well, being ordained in the Vatican, okay, that that would have been awesome. That would be great. But... I think there's something really, really special about Des Moines and the Diocese of Des Moines that I want to be a part of. And it's fitting. I get to be ordained with my brothers, you know, it's Jake and Brad. So I am, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that Sure, Okay. Rome would have been awesome. But my home is here in Des Moines,
2: Iowa. Okay. About 40 seconds before we take a break. But, uh uh Jake and Brad, have you been following pretty closely all that's happened, uh, in, not just around the country, but in particular in Minneapolis, since uh, you go to the seminary in St. Paul uh, with George Floyd? And, and maybe a comment from you, uh, Jake, and then we'll take our break. Well,
0: what do yeah, you that's say? A, I mean, ahead, uh, um, looking at the particular case of... uh of George Floyd it it just put me in such mind of um well just the way he died reminded me of of Christ's death right of uh being not being able to breathe and so and it just puts me in mind of that uh Hold that thought, and, and we'll, have to,
2: to. we'll come back to that in just a moment, okay?
3: impoverished right. children break everyone's heart, but poverty seems like such a big problem. What can one person do to make a difference? For 17 years, Blessman International's passion has been to connect the resources of our donors with sustainable programs that impact the lives of impoverished children in South Africa. Our donors are feeding thousands of hungry children every week, providing basic water and sanitation for impoverished communities, and sharing the love of God in practical ways every day. Go to www www.blessmentinternational.org and make your donation today. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know
1: the broken road That led me to you Welcome back, you're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson
2: Thanks for uh, hanging with us again uh, Gentlemen, uh, just uh, Kind of thinking again about uh, George Floyd and uh, both of you uh, Jake and Brad, your studies In St. Paul uh, And the, the likening of, of the Suffocation, the asphyxiation to Jesus uh, You know are these areas where you've been, uh, kind of areas where, you know, very familiar to you? Do you, do you have been communicating with people in that area uh, uh, as well?
0: Well, it's an area that's become familiar to me just over the past few months. That's where the uh, the missionaries of charity are located there in South St. Paul, where so much of the, uh, both the protests, but then also the the trouble and the, the buildings on fire have been in that neighborhood. Um, and so it's been really striking seeing some of those images of, of places I was driving by every day for the of for the last few months as we were as we were making drop-offs from the seminary to the missionaries of charity there um seeing those places burned you know was uh made quite an impression on me
2: oh. have they been able to remain present there and attending uh, to people uh, affecting
0: well by? I think so yes mm-hmm
2: mm -hmm. Uh, Brad, both you and Jake, uh, you know, the decision was from from, uh, the diocese and Father Ross Parker and myself that, you know, when the COVID broke that uh, you could either leave the seminary or remain there on site. So both of you did and really kind of almost lived a kind of monastic life there for several months. You know, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, reserved to one cell, but can you just talk about uh, what that was like, and you know, were there any new insights or anything that you garnered from that?
5: Sure. Yeah, I think when back in March, when this, when yeah, when everyone, all the when the shutdown was really starting to pick up and the case was starting to rise, I think there was the, there was kind of feeling a little bit of kind of the chaos of just trying to just thinking about you know what's gonna what's gonna happen in the next week, what's gonna happen even in the next two days, you know, um, and you know if we do stay at the seminary, how's that gonna look for the next couple months? But I think, you know, I think having, you know, the decision ultimately to stay up with the seminary, I think once I heard that decision was, for myself, was kind of a sense of peace. And most of the men who go to St. Paul's Seminary, they, they they stayed up there as well. Their dioceses has them stay. So it was really, it, it ended up being a good opportunity to just kind of have that focus more on the community, you know, the seminary community. And I went down to Conception Seminary at Conception Abbey, Missouri. So it was kind of nice to be back in... in kind of kind of in the monastic setting, which we were kind of pretty close to being in seminary at the monastery, so it was, so it, was it was, yeah. know, there was... Wasn't uh, totally foreign to you
2: then, huh? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, no, you're,
5: not entirely, Your no. inner contemplative
2: uh, was uh, blossomed in all of this then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah because you, you've shared with me, you have a great appreciation for nature, photography, and everything else, so you can, you know, capture, uh, you know, when you know Atlantic, you know, you're a little bit out there in the, the mm. beautiful rolling hills of Cass County and things, but uh you know hopefully that'll oh, yeah. be something you'll have a chance to to in, indulge a little bit uh, there. And then for you Reed, uh you you and the other uh, Romans were uh, hoping to stay but then kind of came back and uh, ended up sheltered in place for a little bit, but uh what a kind of a wild ride for you all and thoughts about that and then the, the prospect of heading back to Rome.
4: Right. Well, it was certainly an adventure and yeah, uh, we had the initial exodus of men who left, uh, the seminary when the bishops, they began asking that some of the men go home and we were resolved, uh, to stay because we really felt that it was continuing to being a rich, good environment of learning and yeah, I desired the monastic setting too a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> but then when it finally became mandated that we were sent home, that's when it became difficult because there were men who I had known for, including men who I'd gone to, to minor seminary with and then into major seminary that I had known for six or seven years. And all of a sudden, it's, well, uh, I don't know when I'll see you again because they're going back home to be ordained and, you know, I may never see them again. I, I pray that I do one day, but, but it was this yeah, series of just emotions and roller coaster rides. But then,
2: and I'm going to have to kind of break in here a oh, little bit, Reed. Right uh, thank you, though. But, uh, it was awesome. So I, I guess we definitely better ordain all three of you tonight so that the, the Carthusians yeah. or you know, the Carmelites don't come and swoop in and steal you away to monastic life. So thank you for your time, and uh, peace to you until we see you later this afternoon.
1: This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit. You can
0: Catholic- hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and IowaCatholicRadio.com.